ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves And the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger we like to begin this evening uh, with our reading from the explanation of Kitab Tawheed الذي هو حق الله على العبيد the book of Tawheed that Tawheed being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alone and unique in his having the authority over the heavens and the earth, his rububiyyah, and those perfect names and qualities, al-asma wa sifat, and as a result of that he is the only one that deserves every type of worship. And this tawheed, it is the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over all of his creatures. In the last uh, meeting, we took the chapter entitled Bab al-Shafa'a and actually after reading the evidences of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah and discussing the meaning of those verses of Quran that he mentioned as proofs concerning this issue of al-Shafa'a intercession on the day of judgment uh, we <coughs> left off uh, at the point of the mention of the issues the important issues that the author of Kitab al-Tawheed mentioned at the end of every chapter. At the end of every chapter, after mentioning the evidences from Quran and from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ related to the, chapter of the, the topic of that chapter, he used to mention a number of issues, the important issues that one should pay attention to, that one should make note of, uh, contained in those verses or those hadith under that topic. So we will continue this evening, bi ta'ala, with uh, that section of the chapter of al-Shafa'a that is the mention of the Messiah or the important issues which the Shaykh has mentioned at the end of the chapter and then the question from the handout and then the next chapter which is uh, very brief so here in this chapter al-Shafa'a the Shaykh mentioned a number of evidences from amongst them is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 51 وَأَنذِرْ بِهِ الَّذِينَ يَخَافُونَ أَيْ يُحْشَرُوا إِلَى رَبِّهِمْ لَيْسَ لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ وَلِيٌّ وَلَا شَفِيعٌ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet wasallam, warn them with it, meaning warn them by the Qur'an, those who fear that they will be gathered or collected up in front of their Lord, that is, those who believe in the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, when the people will be called to account for their deeds in this world, and at that time, there will not be anyone for them as a wali, as a protector or guardian or helper. And there will be no one for them as a shafi' an intercessor, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And as we mentioned, that this shafa'a intercession on Yawm Qiyamah, it is being negated here in the general sense, however, it has been affirmed. In some cases, yani according to the conditions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set, which is that He will allow some intercession by His permission and by His pleasure, yani those who He is pleased with. The second evidence that He mentioned is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Zumr, chapter 39, verse 44, that Al-Shafa'a intercession on the day of resurrection, it belongs to Allah alone. All of it, every type of it. That He has control and power and ownership over the heavens and the earth, and then you will return to Him. You will be returned to Him. That means that at the end of time, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, then everyone will be resurrected, all of His creatures will be resurrected to stand judgment before Him. At that time, you will turn back to him to, to be given account. The third evidence he mentioned is, is Ayatul Kursi. And the shahid or the point of witness or the point that we want to take note of in that ayat is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُوا إِنَّهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ And who is it that can intercede with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except by his permission? Meaning no one, no one at all can intercede with him except if he gives permission for them to do so. And this is in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 255. The fourth evidence that he mentioned is from Surah Al-Najm, chapter 53, verse 26. How many are the angels? There are many. How many are the angels in the heavens? And their intercession will not benefit in any way. It will not give anyone any benefit. إلا من بعده إِلَّا مِنْ بَعْدِ أَيَّأْذَنَ اللَّهِ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَرْضَى Except after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives permission to whomever He wills and He is pleased. Yani in this verse, both of the conditions are mentioned, the condition of Allah's permission, that no one will be able to intercede except by Allah's permission, and the condition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being pleased with the one who the intercession is being sought for, as well as the one who is asking for that intercession for someone. And the last verse that he mentioned is from Surah Al-Saba, chapter 34, verse 22 and 23, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلِدْعُوا قُلِدْعُوا الَّذِينَ زَعَمْتُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Call besides Allah. And here, as we said on many occasions, a dua it has more than one meaning. The immediate meaning that comes to mind is supplication. However, a dua in the Quran and in the Sunnah also has the meaning of al-ibadah. A dua huwa al-ibadah. The Prophet ﷺ said this in an authentic hadith that dua is ibadah. And therefore, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, Ud'u al-ladheena za'amtum. Call on those who you claim, yani who you claim to be God besides Allah, then he means also worship any of them or ask for them or supplicate to them. Yani those who are taken besides Allah as gods or those who have authority or power in the heavens and the earth and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates that they have any authority by saying لا يملكون مثقال ذرة في السماوات ولا في الأرض that they don't control or possess even the weight of a small ant even the weight of a small ant they don't even possess that which is equal to the weight of a small ant in the heavens or on the earth they don't possess or own anything وما لهم فيهما من شرك and in the heavens and the earth, in neither of them do they have even any partnership. They don't even share in anything of what Allah controls in the heavens and the earth. وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٍ 
and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't taken any one of them even as a help or assistant in any way Allah has no need of any help or assistance so he has negated them having any control or ownership of anything or any partnership in it or even helping him in any way and finally he negates the point of our topic here وَلَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا لِمَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that الشَّفَاعَ intercession with him in his presence doesn't benefit at all except for whom he gives permission to so that there is no shafa'ah except by permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala these are the verses that the shaykh mentioned in the previous chapter and uh, concerning the issues the material that are not mentioned in the sharh but are mentioned in the original text of the book uh, in brief he mentions eight issues, the first of them is the tafsir explanation of the ayat, those ayats which are mentioned as evidences which we discussed in detail. The second of them is sifat al-shafa'ah al-manfiyah, yani what is the description of the intercession which has been negated here, the intercession which has been negated here, yani that there is no intercession, it is the intercession either where those people are seeking intercession, they are looking to something or someone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani they are claiming that somebody has an authority to intercede, independent in and of themselves. And this is shirk, because the authority belongs totally to Allah alone, whoever seeks anyone or anything having any authority besides Allah's shirk. Anyone who engages in shirk, then intercession in that case is negated, and the other intercession is even the intercession where anyone seeks help or intercession from anyone whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given permission to or whom Allah is not pleased with as for the description, the third issue, the description of the intercession which is confirmed, al-muthbata it is the intercession of those who seek intercession from whomever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed he has given permission for them to intercede and he is pleased with them, pleased with their speech and pleased with their actions the one who intercedes and the one who is being interceded for the fourth issue is the mention of al-shafa'a al-kubra or al-uzma yani the great intercession and that intercession the shaykh says wahiya al-maqam al-mahmood that great intercession it is al-maqam al-mahmood it is the praiseworthy station and the meaning here is that one of the reasons for which the prophet sallallahu will be praised on yawm al-qiyamah is for his intercession for the people, all of the all of humanity will be collected in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala waiting for the judgment to begin and they will go to the other prophets, Adam and Noah and Abraham, Musa and Isa salam, and they will not be able to intercede at that time the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa would be asked to intercede and he would go before Allah and prostrate himself and praise Allah with words that Allah would reveal to him at that time that he didn't know before and he would continue in that position of prostration and praising Allah until Allah would tell him to raise until Allah will tell him to raise up his head and he will say speak and it will be heard meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hear him and he will say act and you will be given and seek intercession and your intercession will be accepted this great intercession is the intercession for the judgment to begin while the people are in a state of terror and fright standing on the judgment ground while all people are standing there waiting for the judgment to begin at that time the Prophet Muhammad will be given permission by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to intercede for the whole of humanity and that is from the things that he will be praised for that is referred to as Al-Maqam Al-Mahmood and some of the scholars who explained Kitab Tawheed said that even others who will be allowed to intercede 
from amongst the angels or the prophets or the righteous or the martyrs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also allow them to intercede. And for that intercession that they are allowed, to the degree of their intercession, they will also attain something of this praiseworthy status or praiseworthy position of Maqam Mahmood. The fifth issue the Shaykh mentions <coughs> is Sifatu ma yafa'aluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yani the description of what the Prophet would do that is he would not begin when he is asked to intercede at that time he would not begin by immediately asking Allah for permission to begin the judgment but he will first prostrate himself in front of Allah and then when he is given permission then he will seek intercession for the whole of humanity the sixth issue مَنْ أَسْعَدُ النَّاسِ بِهَا يعني who would be the most fortunate of the people to receive the intercession of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and here Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen rahimahullah in his explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed gives a somewhat lengthy explanation of this point and it is worth mentioning because it indeed is of importance he says concerning this issue who would be the most fortunate of humanity to receive the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ, he said it is Ahl Tawheed wal Ikhlas, the people of Tawheed, who live their life for the establishment and the manifestation of singling, singling out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone for worship and all of those things that are exclusively his right. And those, the people of Ikhlas, those who worship Allah alone sincerely for his sake and not for any other reason. That is, as the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, that is mentioned concerning this matter when he was asked by Abu Hurairah who, who would be the most fortunate people to receive their intercession and he said من قال لا إله إلا الله خالصا من قلبه the one who said لا إله إلا الله خالصا with ikhlas sincerely for Allah alone from his heart that is the one and that, this is the proof that will be يعني, considered in the next chapter which we will take tonight concerning whether or not the saying of لا إله إلا الله is sufficient just merely by pronouncing it on the tongue or is it does it have conditions as mentioned in one of the other essays of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah the conditions of la ilaha illallah that is that a person has to have knowledge of what is the meaning of la ilaha illallah in addition to the other conditions such as certainty and uh, truthfulness and uh, uh, acceptance and love and submission uh, to whatever the meaning of la ilaha illallah requires. So here the Shaykh he said that this intercession or those who will be the most fortunate are those, the people of Tawheed and Ikhlas. And here he says, La ilaha illallah, its meaning, it doesn't simply mean as it has been translated and even as some of the people in Arabic understand it to mean that there is no God but Allah. La ilaha illallah, it doesn't mean that there is no God but Allah. Because indeed, the Quran confirms that the pagans had aliha, many gods. And the people today have aliha, many gods, that they are worshipping other than Allah. But the real meaning of la ilaha illallah is la ma'abud bihaqqin illallah. That there is nothing which is worshipped in truth. Yani nothing that deserves to be worshipped except Allah. Otherwise there are many things that are worshipped besides Allah, but He is the only one that has the right or the only one who deserves to be worshipped. He said that if we said that the meaning of la ilaha illallah is that there is nothing worshipped except Allah, then this would be a denial of the reality of what we see uh, in the world today. Yani the reality that there are many things that are worshipped besides Allah. 
uh, and they are called gods. But in fact, all of these things that are worshipped other than Allah, they are false. They are false, and they have no right to be worshipped. In this way, it is of necessity that we understand the real meaning of La ilaha illallah. It means that there is no ilah bilhaq. Yani there is no God in truth that is a real God that really deserves to be worshipped. Otherwise, the other things that are worshipped are false. And then he says that La ilaha illallah, it contains two points. Nafi wa ithbat. It contains negation and affirmation. La ilaha is negation. That there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped. Illallah is affirmation. And the affirmation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indeed deserves to be worshipped. So it has two parts and both of them are necessary. This is the real tawheed. And the affirmation of worship for Allah alone and the negation of worship for anything other than Him. Otherwise, affirming worship for Allah alone is not sufficient. Because if we say Allah ilahun, that Allah is a God, that Allah is worshipped, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the possibility that while Allah is worshipped, something else may be worshipped along with Him. If we just said that He is ilahun, that He is worshipped. And likewise, if we take the other part, the negation, la ilah, that there is nothing to be worshipped, then we would negate worship from everyone and, any, and everything, even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a mistake. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He mentions such a statement, the affirmation of worship, then he doesn't leave it like this, but he adds to it that which affirms that the worship belongs to him alone, such as the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 163, wa ilahukum ilahun wahid. And your God is one God. And he didn't say, wa ilahukum ilahun, that your God is to be worshipped, but he said, he is one God, the only one that deserves to be worshipped. The seventh issue that the Shaykh mentions, is that this intercession, which those who are most, most fortunate would receive the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, it will not be for those who fell into shirk, who worship anything along with Allah, or who associated anything along with Allah, or who made anything as an equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in anything or in any way whatsoever. And this is <coughs> based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mudathir, verse 48, فَمَا تَنْفَعُهُمْ شَفَاعَةُ الشَّافِعِينَ That the intercession of those who intercede would not benefit them. It would not benefit the mushrikeen. And there are other statements where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has negated the, the any benefit of intercession for those who fell into shirk. And this is the meaning of the saying of, of the Prophet wasallam when he said it would be those who say لا إله إلا الله خالصاً من قلبه يعني those who said it and who acted in accordance with it, meaning that they didn't worship anything except Allah alone. They said it sincerely from their heart, and they acted upon that, and they didn't fall into anything to be worshipped besides Allah. The last issue that he mentions, it is bayan haqiqatuha. What is the reality of al-shafa'ah? What is the reality of al-shafa'ah? He says that it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his favor and his bounty, for the people of ikhlas, the people who worshipped him alone, who didn't fall into shirk, he has forgiven them by means of someone from amongst his creatures that he has allowed to intercede. And this is to honor those who he allows to intercede, to honor them, so that they may achieve the praiseworthy position or the praiseworthy station. 
So the reality of al-shafa'a is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who forgives whomever He wills, but by means of Him giving permission to whomever He wills to intercede for others as a way of honoring those who He allows to intercede. It is an honor for them. And out of His mercy and favor to forgive those who died on Tawheed. To forgive them some of their sins that they deserve to be punished for. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to forgive them, but He forgives them by means of others as a means of honoring those who he allows to intercede. Just quickly, the questions from, last, from the last lecture after these Messiah, uh, as quickly as possible. The first of them is defined as shafa, intercession and mention is two types. Yani, if we had time, I would like to take the answers from you, but in any case, we don't have time now. The definition of a shafa is that one person joined to another person, someone who is alone, is joined with another, making them two. That is a shafa'ah. Al-Witr is one, and a shafa'ah is two. So when they become two, that second one intercedes on behalf of the other one to gain them some benefit or to repulse from them some harm. This is the meaning of a shafa'ah. And shafa'ah is of two types. The shafa'ah which is negated or rejected, which involves shirk, and the shafa'ah which is accepted and confirmed the shafa'a which is done by the permission of Allah and by the one whom Allah is pleased with, for whom Allah is pleased with. Yani with his permission and his pleasure. The second question, what are the conditions for the acceptance of al-shafa'a? We already said that in the previous answer that there are two, that Allah gives permission and that Allah is pleased with that intercession. Number three, mention the evidence for the above conditions. The evidence, there are many evidences that we have mentioned last week from amongst them is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that how many are the angels in the heavens that the intercession will not benefit they will not benefit except after Allah gives permission to whoever he wills and he is pleased so this, this ayat contains both uh, evidence for both of those conditions and there are the ayat which mention them separately uh, mention some of the types of shifa on the day of judgment and we said that the Shaykh has mentioned, I think, eight of them, and in the explanation of Aqidah Tahawiyah, Imam Ibn Abi Al-Iz, Rahimahullah, mentioned eight, with all of the evidences in detail. From amongst them is the great intercession to begin the judgment, and from amongst them is the intercession for those whose deeds will be equal. Their good and evil deeds will be equal, and the Prophet ﷺ will intercede for them to enter paradise. Also, the intercession for those whose deeds justified them being entered into the hell, admitted into the hellfire, but by the intercession of the Prophet ﷺ, they would not even enter the hellfire at all, but they would go directly into the paradise. And also of his intercession is the raising of the status of the people of paradise, and the allowing of the people to enter the paradise at the time after the judgment has taken place, and so on. And we mentioned, I think, about ten of them. Uh, and we also said that the Prophet ﷺ, he would not be the only one who would intercede, but also there is general intercession which would be allowed for other Prophets, and the angels, and the martyrs, and the believers in general, whoever Allah wills. Uh, <clears throat> who will be the most fortunate people to receive the intercession of the Prophet? It is those who say, La ilaha illallah, sincerely from their hearts. Is there a question? Is there a question? Okay. Uh, number six, explain the underlying words, and warn therewith. Warn therewith. Therewith, what does it mean? It means warn them with the Qur'an. Those who fear that they will be gathered before their Lord, it means those who believe, the mu'mineen, those who fear, who believe that there will be a day of judgment. 
Number seven, say, call upon those whom you claim as God besides Allah. Explain this verse and how it is a proof against those who call on anyone or anything less than Allah or other than Allah. And in this ayat, it is a proof because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has negated in it that there is anyone, whoever they may call upon, there is no one who has any authority or no one who has any control or ownership of anything in the heavens and the earth. And there is no one or anything that even shares in that ownership. And there is no one or anything in the heavens or the earth that even helps Allah in His control and running, administering what the affairs of the heavens and the earth. And there is no one even that can intercede with Him on the Day of Judgment except by His permission and those who He is pleased with. So this is a proof. Uh, this verse is a proof against those who call on anything other than Allah because in this verse Allah has made it clear that there is nothing at all that anyone shares with him in his, in his control or authority over the heavens and the earth. Then the last two questions mention some of the asma of Allah, the names of Allah found in the above evidences. You can look at the ayats and see some of the names that are mentioned there such as Allah is Al-Hayyul Qayyum, Al-Ali, Al-Azim and the name Allah itself is also of the asma of Allah. Mention some of the important points are understood from this chapter and we have already in the discussion of these Messiah mentioned most, most of them. Uh, the next chapter which inshallah we will be even in Ta'ala complete tonight it contains two evidences uh, it is the chapter entitled Bab Qawlullahi Ta'ala innaka la tahdi man ahbabta the chapter entitled the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that verily you will not guide you will not be able to guide all of those whom you love yani it means you will not be able to guide those whom you love but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he may allow the Prophet to guide whomever he wills however here the meaning of the negation of guiding those whom you love it means a type of guidance which the Shaykh will discuss as he goes on this is the chapter and the first evidence that he mentions is from this ayah the ayah in Surah Al-Qasas chapter 28 verse 56 the saying of Allah that verily indeed you will not be able to guide those whom you love yani it is not the right of the Prophet to guarantee the guidance of anyone but it is his responsibility only to deliver the message, al-balad. And it is his responsibility to call the people, to deliver the message to them. As for the one who controls the heart, it is the right of Allah alone. As he can concludes this verse with, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهِ يَحْدِي مَنْ Allah is the one who guides whoever he wills. And he is the one who knows best, al-muhtadeen. That is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is best. He knows best the one who deserves the one who is worthy of his guidance. Allah knows best the one who is worthy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he doesn't mislead anyone except they turn away from the guidance. And whoever seeks it, Allah guides them. So he knows best those who are sincere and seeking the right way and indeed he guides whoever seeks guidance from him. The Shaykh says here the general meaning of this ayat that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has knowledge of everything know, know the earnest desire of the Prophet ﷺ to guide his uncle Abu Talib Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saw the great effort and desire of the Prophet ﷺ to guide his uncle Abu Talib but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who knew 
in his previous knowledge, and he's the one who knows everything of the past and of the present, he knew that Abu Talib would never be guided. He knew that. So he informed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that Hidayat al-Tawfiq, Hidayat al-Tawfiq, it is particular and peculiar for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to the exclusion of anyone besides him. He is the one who guarantees whomever he wills of his servants, he guarantees that they are guided. And that is because he is the best knower, as he says in the end of the ayat, وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُحْدَدِينَ He is the best knower of those who deserve the guidance and the success. It is important to note here, as many of the scholars mentioned in the tafsir of the Qur'an, as well as in the books of Islamic beliefs, Al-Aqidah, and especially the explanations of Kitab al-Tawheed, that Hidayah, Al-Hidayah, guidance is of two types. Hidayah al-Tawfiq and Hidayah al-Irshad, Hidayah al-Irshad or Dilala. That which is being negated here in this ayat is Hidayah al-Tawfiq. Hidayah al-Tawfiq, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He gives special assistance to those of His servants, that He wills to be able to accept the truth when it comes to them and then to act in accordance with it. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He puts in the heart of some of His servants, but He assists them especially to have in their heart the ability to accept the truth when it comes to them and then to act in accordance with this. This tawfiq or success, it is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Nobody else has the ability to implant or to create in the heart of a human being the ability to accept the truth and to act in accordance with it. Only Allah can do this. This is what is known as Hidayat al-Tawfiq. The guidance of success. The guidance that guarantees a person's success in recognizing the truth when it comes to them, accepting it and then acting in accordance with it. And if some people recognize the truth but they don't act in accordance with it, they reject it and they fight against it, as did many of the pagans in the time of the Prophet ﷺ who recognized the way came it was the truth, but they didn't accept it. They didn't submit to it. They didn't follow him, but they fought against him. And they rejected the truth, even though they knew that it was the haqq. So this is Hidayat al-Tawfiq. The other type of Hidayat is Hidayat al-Irshad, or Hidayat al-Dilala. Al-Irshad means guiding, showing the way. Hidayat al-Irshad, it is the guidance of the prophets and messengers, and the people of the truth who call to that which is right. They show the people the right way. Like the one who shows somebody the path, the road, how to get to some place. Guiding them, directing them. This hidayah of directing people to the straight path, the right way. It is in the hands of the prophets and messengers, as well as all of the people of truth who call to it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enabled those of humanity who follow the truth and who believe in it, to call others to the right way and to show them the right way. This is hidayat al-irshad. Hidayat al-Dilala. And this has been confirmed in the Qur'an for the Prophet and others besides him. Uh, so the Shaykh, he says here also that from this uh, ayah of Qur'an, there are three main benefits. The first of them is negation of Hidayat al-Tawfiq. That there is no one other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has the ability to guide people to guarantee their success, to accept the truth and to follow it. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
has the ability to do so. The second benefit from this hadith is that, or this ayat, is that the natural love, the natural love that a human being has for someone, even the love that a believer, the natural love that they have for their relatives, their mother or their father or their brother or their sister or any of their relatives who they love because they are their relatives, they are their blood relations. Even though that one who they love is a kafir, that this natural love, this is not in contradiction or in conflict with Iman, as long as that one has not opposed the truth and fought against it. As long as that disbeliever has not fought against the truth and opposed the people of truth, then there is no harm that a believer might love their relative, their near relative, even though that one is a kafir, as was in the case of the Prophet for his uncle Abu Talib, who he loved him as his relative, as his uncle, the brother of his father, especially since he didn't oppose the truth. In fact, he supported the truth, and he aided the Prophet, and he protected him. And he was persecuted with the Muslims when they were boycotted by the pagans in order to support his nephew, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Therefore this love, natural love that one has for a relative who has not fought against the truth or opposed it, it is not a contradiction, it is not in conflict with Iman, faith. And the third point is confirmation of Sifat al-Mashia, lillah, that is, that al-Mashia, it is a, it is a, a characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is affirmed for him that Allah has a will that Allah has a will and he says in this verse that he guides whomever he wills وَلَكِنَّ Allah يَحْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءَ so al-mashia Allah having a will it is confirmed as a characteristic or a quality or a sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here the shaykh says he mentions he makes a note here and he said al-jam or the reconciliation, joining between two apparent, apparent contradictory statements. Two apparent contradictory statements. The reconciliation between this ayah, the ayat of this chapter, that, إِنَّكَ لَا تَحْدِي مِنْ أَحْبَبْتَ That you will never be able to guide whomever you love. Yani, hidayat al-tawfiq, guaranteeing somebody's success. The reconciliation between this statement and the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Shura, chapter 41, verse 52, وَإِنَّكَ لَتَحْدِي Not here, it is not لَا تَحْدِي Negation. It is لَام التأكيد that you would definitely guide. إِنَّكَ لَتَحْدِي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ that you will definitely Lam here, the Lam here, it's not Lam Alif, La. It is La Tahdi, which means it is affirmation. Affirmation after affirmation. Innaka, verily, you will. La Tahdi, definitely guide. Ila Sarat Mustaqim. He is saying here that the Prophet will certainly guide to the straight to a straight path. You will definitely guide to a straight path. The reconciliation between these two ayats is that the first one, the negation of Hidayah for the Prophet ﷺ, it means he doesn't have the right over Hidayah to Tawfiq, to guarantee anyone's success. But here in this verse, the second verse, it is affirmation of Hidayah for the Prophet, meaning Hidayah al-Irshad wa Dilala. That it is affirming that he has the ability to guide people, meaning to show them the right way. As for guaranteeing that they will accept the truth, 
and that they will follow that path, that they will act in accordance with it, and that they will reach the destination, they will die in Islam and into paradise. This is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a similar saying, such as the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ munzir. That verily you are only a warner. Verily you are only إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ munzir. You are verily only a warner. The Prophet ﷺ, what is his authority? His authority is to warn, to call the people to the right way and to warn them against the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلِكُلِّ قَوْمٍ had. And for every people there is a had, a guide. For every people there is a guide. So here again is the affirmation of the ability of the Prophet ﷺ to guide. And not only the Prophet of Allah Muhammad ﷺ, but لِكُلِّ قَوْمٍ had. Yani every people will have a guide. That means there are many guides, prophets and messengers, and the people of truth who followed them. They are the guides of the people, meaning they have the ability to show them the right way, but only Allah has the ability to guarantee that they will accept it, that they will act upon it, and that they will enter the paradise. So here, the Shaykh is saying that these two verses, yani they are reconciled by understanding that in the first verse it is talking about Hidayat Tawfiq, and this is negated, no one has the ability except Allah, while in the second verse it is talking about Hidayat Al-Irshad, yani just showing the way, uh, and this is confirmed for the Prophet ﷺ and others besides him. And the second evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah mentions concerning guidance, that Al-Hidayah, just as in the previous chapter, Al-Shafa'ah, it is the right of Allah alone. Likewise, Al-Hidayah, it is the right of Allah alone. Al-Maghfirah, forgiveness, is the right of Allah alone. All of these are part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's exclusive right and whoever attributes them to other than Allah or believes that anyone else has such an ability then they have fallen into shirk. The second evidence that the shaykh mentions is the, is the hadith وَفِي الصَّحِيحِ He means here في الصَّحِيحِ Normally when the scholars of hadith said الصَّحِيحِ they refer to Al-Bukhari and sometimes they refer to Al-Bukhari and Muslim and here he means both of them because this hadith it has been recorded by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim was it Sahih and Ibn Musayyib meaning Sayyid Ibn Musayyib Sayyid Musayyib he was one of the greatest of the scholars of the Tabi'een he was one of the ulama of the Tabi'een he was one of the seven great fuqaha and scholars of the Tabi'een and he according to the scholars of hadith it is said that his hadith which are narrated Mursal yani without mentioning who he heard it from between him and the Prophet those hadith which would normally be considered weak, but Sayyid al-Musayyib, rahimahullah, his hadith which are more are considered to be as-sahu al-maratil. The most authentic of those hadith which has been narrated with a broken chain between a tabi'i, student of Sahaba, and the Prophet sallallahu yani sometimes the tabi'in, they used to mention a hadith saying, qala Rasul without saying who they heard it from. A tabi'i, he didn't meet the Prophet sallallahu So he has to mention who is the Sahabi that he heard it from, or who is the tabi that he heard it from, who heard it from the sahabi, who heard it from the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam because of the missing link and the possibility that it could be from other than a sahabi for that reason those hadith are normally considered weak however if we know that he heard it from a sahabi the hadith would be sahih because all of the sahaba all of their hadith are accepted even if we don't know specifically which one of them is being mentioned what is sahih and ibn musayyib in the sahih from ibn musayyib rahimahullah and abihi from his father Radiallahu anhu, who was a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
from his father. قال لما حضرت أبا طالب الوفاة جاء رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وعنده عبد الله ابن أبي أمية وأبو جهل. يعني at the time when death approached Abu Talib, at the approach of death, يعني just before his death, يعني when the signs of death, يعني were clear, and it was clear that he was going to die soon, and this was in Mecca, just before the Hijrah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, and according to some of the scholars, it was eight days before the death of Khadija رضي الله عنها, eight days before the death of the wife of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. These two people who were very close to the Prophet ﷺ, his uncle Abu Talib, who took him as a child and protected him and raised him, and even after his prophethood came to him, protected him, and stood beside him and aided him in his mission, but who didn't accept Islam, and his wife Khadija anha, who was his first wife and his only wife, as long as she was alive, for 25 years, and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided her to be the first of those who believed in him, and who also supported him and aided him and protected him and stood beside him, until the end of her life, but that one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the guidance to. He said that when the death approached Abu Talib, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu came to him, and with him were two men, Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah and Abu Jahl. فَقَالَ لَهُ يَا أَمِّي قُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ the Prophet وسلم, said, Oh my uncle, say La ilaha illallah. Say La ilaha illallah. Kalimatun uhaju laka biha indallah. It is a word, La ilaha illallah, that I will be able to testify. I will be able to argue on your behalf. I will be able to testify, give witness for you by that word in front of Allah on your muqiyama. Say La ilaha illallah. And here it's important to note, as the Shaykh I think we mentioned in the Sharh and in the Messiah, that Abu Talib and the pagan, the Mushrikeen of Quraysh in that time, they understood the Arabic language very well and they knew really what was the meaning of La ilaha illallah. Unlike the people of today from amongst the Muslims who don't know what is the meaning of La ilaha illallah, but they knew what it meant. And for that reason, though it was a small word, La ilaha illallah, they were unable to say it because they knew what it meant in full. That it means the negation of the worship of anything besides Allah. That all authority belongs to Allah alone. All of their gods are nullified, cancelled completely. They have nothing and no right by saying this word. And they knew that. And that's why it was difficult for them to say it. Well, today the people say it easily. Some of those who are worshipping other than Allah at the graves, who are supplicating to other than Allah, sacrificing to other than Allah, giving authority to other than Allah. Some of them, they said, we say la ilaha illallah, while they are making shirk. Meaning that they don't understand really what is the meaning of la ilaha illallah, as was understood by the pagans of the Quraysh in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa When the Prophet sallallahu said that to him, فَقَالَ The two of them said to him, فَقَالَ لَهُ أَتُرْغَبُ عَنْ مِلَّتِي Abdul Muttalib, yani, will you turn away from the Milla, from the religion of Abdul Muttalib, from the Milla of your father? Now, ten minutes. Will you turn away from it? Just a question. Fa'ada alayhi and Nabi sallallahu alayhi the Prophet repeated to him, yani, his question, say la ilaha illallah, or his statement, say la ilaha illallah. Fa'ada, 
Then they also repeated their question, will you turn away from the religion of Abdul Muttalib of your father? Abdul Muttalib, then the religion of the worship of idols, the religion of paganism, shirk. Will you turn away from it? فَكَانَ آخِرُ مَا قَالَ هُوَ عَلَى مِلَّةِ عَبْدُ الْمُطَّلِبِ So the last of what he said, the last thing that Abdul Muttalib said, or the last thing that Abu Talib he said, هُوَ عَلَى مِلَّةِ عَبْدُ الْمُطَّلِبِ يعني he said that he was remaining on the religion of Abdul Muttalib, the religion of his forefathers, the religion of paganism. فَأَبَى أَنْ يَقُولَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ He refused to say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا استغفرن لك ما لم انه عنك that i would definitely seek forgiveness for you as long as i am not prohibited from doing so as long as i am not prohibited from doing so فانزل الله then allah revealed in reference to that occasion ما كان للنبي والذين امنوا ان يستغفروا للمشركين that it is not for the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم nor for those who believe to seek forgiveness for the mushrikeen it is not permissible it is not permissible. Ma kana, it is used in the Quran to have two meanings. It is either negation or prohibition. Yani that somebody doesn't do something or prohibition meaning that it's not permissible to do so. Here the meaning is that it is an nahi, prohibition. Ma kana lin nabi, it is not allowed. It is prohibited for the Prophet sallam, as well as those who believe to seek forgiveness for the mushrikeen. Walau kana ulul qurba. Walau kana ulul qurba. Even if they are their near relatives, as was the case of the Prophet ﷺ, and is the case of the people who came after and even from us today, from our near relatives. You have a question? Let's let, let hold your question just for a minute so I can complete this evidence, inshallah. Even if they are near relatives, من بعد ما تبين لهم أنهم أصحاب الجحيم. يعني it is not permissible to seek forgiveness for them after it has been made clear to them, after it has been made clear to the believers that those who they want to seek forgiveness for are from amongst Ashabul Jaheem, the people of the hellfire. And the people, while they are living, it's possible they might be guided. We may seek guidance for them, pray for their guidance, but once they died on Kufr, then they are from Ashabul Jaheem. It is not permissible to supplicate for their forgiveness. There is no forgiveness for them at that point. And the Sheikh says in the explanation of this hadith that here Sayyid al Musayyib. Rahimahullah has informed us in this hadith that when the signs of death came to Abu Talib, the Prophet ﷺ requested from him to say a word, the word of Tawheed, La ilaha illallah, in order that he might testify for him by that word in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, his evil companions, the evil companions of Abu Talib, the other mushrikun, however, they affected him and they encouraged him to act upon Al-Asabiyya and Jahiliya. Yani, ancestors and the religion of his ancestors so he announced that he was dying on the millah or the religion or the deen of Abdul Muttalib the religion of paganism of shirk then he died on that then the Prophet swore that he would seek forgiveness for him as long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't prohibit him from doing so so he continued to seek forgiveness for him until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the prohibition from doing so the ayat that is mentioned in that hadith مَا كَانَ لِلنَّبِيهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَيَسْتَغْفِرُوا لِلْمُشْرِكِينَ The benefits that he mentioned from this hadith are seven. The permissibility of visiting a mushrik who is sick. A mushrik who is sick. A pagan who is sick. It is permissible to visit them if the person is visiting them with the hope that they might call them to Islam. Call them to Allah 
so that they would die on Tawheed. Number two, that whoever said La ilaha illallah at the time of his death, outwardly, they take on the appearance of Islam. And we deal with them and treat them as a Muslim. If a person on their deathbed, before they died, if they said La ilaha illallah, we would deal with them as a Muslim. Outwardly, they will be accepted as a Muslim, Islam. Inwardly, al-Iman, it is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Only Allah knows. But here we understand that if a person says La ilaha illallah on their deathbed, we treat them as a Muslim. And Allah knows if they said it truthfully. If they said it truthfully, they will be saved. And if they said it otherwise, then it will not benefit them. The third point is that that which counts is the last deeds of a person. What they die upon is what counts. Even if a person did good deeds all of their life, and then they turned away from the truth and they died on kufr or shirk, then all what they did before won't count, and likewise the opposite. Number four, the earnest effort of the Prophet ﷺ in calling to Allah. Yani that a person has to be sincere and serious about calling to Allah, as the Prophet ﷺ was sincere and serious in calling to Allah. And also that a person should be patient in commanding the good and forbidding the wrong. They should have patience, not be hasty or give up quickly. Number five, the reputation of those who claimed that Abdul Muttalib and his ancestors, that they embraced Islam. Those who claim so, and there are those from amongst the Muslims who claim so, that Abu, Abu Talib and Abdul Muttalib, that they were Muslims. In fact, it is clear that they were not Muslims. Because uh, Abu Talib, he died on the religion of Abdul Muttalib. He died on the religion, on the Millah of Abu, Abdul Muttalib, which is Kufr, which is Shirk. So th- it is clear that they were not Muslims, that they didn't embrace Islam, even though they were the relatives of the Prophet Wasallam. Number six, number six, the harmful effect of evil companions on a human being. Those who have bad companions, they will only lead that person to do evil. They will not benefit them. They will only cause harm to them, as the Prophet Wasallam mentioned in the hadith that he made as an example of Jalisa Su, the one who is an evil any companion, the one who sits with you who is evil, then no good will come for them, only harm. And the last point that he mentions from this hadith, it is the prohibition of seeking forgiveness for the mushrikeen, no matter how close they may be in blood relation, nor no matter how much, nor how much they may have done for Islam, whatever their deeds may have been, the closest of relatives and the one who has done the most on behalf of Islam, there is no benefit for them if they died on kufr. And this hadith and the ayat previously, they are a proof for the affirmation of the fact that he died to tawfiq, the guidance that a person is successful in accepting the truth, acting upon it and dying on it, that it is the exclusive right of Allah alone, and therefore whoever attributes it to other than Allah, then that person has fallen into shirk. Indeed, if the Prophet ﷺ, who is the most honored of all creatures, and the best of the prophets and messengers, and the closest of all creatures to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, indeed, if he couldn't benefit his uncle, who was dear to him, and loved by him, and who had supported and aided him, if he couldn't benefit him, if he couldn't intercede for him, or seek forgiveness for him, then for sure, no one after him, who is less than him, would be able to benefit or seek forgiveness for anyone who died on shirk. This is the end of the chapter except the Messiah. Uh, perhaps we'll just take quickly uh, a look at some of the Messiah and without the complete discussion of them and then the questions before we go to prayer.
How much time is uh, before the Salat is how much? It should be, it's almost time for the Adhan now, huh? Five minutes. The Adhan is twenty minutes, so? Okay, just quickly to look at the Messiah from this chapter. Uh, they are many. Twelve. These Messiah or these issues, important matters, they are really important and they require some discussion, but the time that we have is not sufficient, so I will try as best I can to summarize them. The first of them, the first issue, it is the explanation of the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّكَ لَا تَحْدِي مِنْ أَحْبَبْتَ That is, that the Prophet will not be able to guide whomever he loves. Yani this ayat is a clarification that the Prophet doesn't have the ability to guide, yani the guidance of success. Hidayat al-Tawfiq, guaranteeing anyone's success, even while he was living, then what about after his death? And what about those who go and ask him for favors or help or intercession after his death? There is no use in it. The second of them is, the, the second issue is the tafsir of the saying of Allah, مَا كَانَ لِلنَّذِي That it is not permissible for the Prophet and those who believe to seek forgiveness for the mushrikeen. Uh, it has already been mentioned in the clarification of this ayat that it is prohibited, it is haram to seek for a Muslim to seek forgiveness for a pagan even if they are their near relative. But what we can do for them while they are living is to pray that Allah guide them. Also, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen rahimahullah mentions in his explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed the danger of those from amongst the Muslims who say at the death of some of the leaders of the Kafirs, al-Marhum, some of the Muslims used to mention at the death of some of the leaders of the disbelievers, al-Marhum, yani the one who is, who is receiving the mercy of Allah. And indeed, this is a, da- a very dangerous statement when those who died on Kufr, there is no mercy of Allah for them, there is no forgiveness for them, they are destined for hellfire. This is in contradiction to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said when He made it forbidden for Him to forgive those who died on shirk. And He forbid His own self to forgive them or for them to enter the paradise. Likewise, the Shaykh said it is, permiss- it is prohibited to even make any open display of grief or sorrow at the death of the disbelievers, to mourn them. For indeed the believers rejoice at the death of the disbelievers, those who reject Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who oppose him and who oppose his deen and who mislead the people and fight against the truth. In fact, the true believers, if they have the ability, they will fight against them. They will fight against the disbelievers in order to establish the deen of Allah so that all the people on the earth will have a chance to know the true religion and to follow it so that they will have a chance to have success in this world and in the next. The third issue, it is the Al-Mas'ala Al-Kabira. The Shaykh says this is the big issue, the major issue, and it is his saying, قُلْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ بِخِلَافِ مَا عَلَيْهِ مَنْ يَدْعَيَ الْعِلْمِ And in contradiction to those who claim to have knowledge, some of the people of the Muslims who claim to have knowledge, they claimed that the saying of La ilaha illallah it is only the acknowledgement that Allah is the only creator, that Allah is the only one who has the ability to create. He is the only one who has the ability to bring into existence, to bring something into existence. Yani, an acknowledgement of his rububiya, that he is, he is the creator and he is the Lord and the owner. Here the Shaykh says that the meaning, yani here when the Prophet said to his uncle, say la ilaha illallah, it is based on the fact that his uncle knew the meaning of La ilaha illallah. 
and he knew that it was declaring oneself free of anything and everything besides Allah. For this reason, Abu Talib, who knew the meaning of La ilaha illallah, he refused to say it because he knew what its meaning required of him. That it means he has to reject all of their gods, every one of them, and whatever powers or authority that they had given to them. And this is in contradiction to those who claimed that the meaning of La ilaha illallah is that Allah is the only one who has the power to create or to bring something into existence. And likewise, <coughs> this is in yani, contradiction or rejection of those who worship the Prophet or who worship the awliya, the saints, or those who they claim to be near to Allah by saying, we say la ilaha illallah, while at the same time they're offering worship to other than him. This, say la ilaha illallah, it doesn't have any benefit saying it alone. Even the munafiqun, they say la ilaha illallah. But the real meaning here is that the Prophet ﷺ is asking him to say it knowing its meaning and being certain of its meaning and loving its meaning and submitting to it and accepting it fully and acting in accordance with it. Uh, the fifth issue, he says, the earnestness of the Prophet ﷺ and his striving to call his uncle to Islam. Yani the effort that he made to bring him to Islam, to say La ilaha illallah, believing in it and accepting it. The sixth issue, it is the reputation of those who claim that Abu Muttalib and his ancestors were Muslims, and this is the hadith of Sayyid ibn Musayyib, rahimahullah, is a clear proof against them, as, Ab, as Abu Talib, he died on the religion of Abdul Muttalib, and clearly he died on kufr, and that's why the Prophet wasallam said that he benefited his uncle in one thing when he was asked did you benefit your uncle he said I benefited him in one thing that is if not for me yani if not for Allah giving me permission to intercede for him then he would have been in the lowest place in the hellfire but by my intercession he was in the least of the punishment of the hellfire that place in which the fire was only up to his feet such that his the one who is in that condition the fire would be so hot it would cause their brains to boil. That was the least of the people who would be punished in hellfire. He said it is by my intercession that he is in that position instead of being in the lowest, the worst place in the hellfire. He said I benefited him in that way. Otherwise, it is clear that he died on kufr and he will be in the hellfire. So whoever claims other than that, yani that the religion of Abdul Muttalib is other than shirk and kufr, then they are lying. Because Abu Talib died on the religion of Abdul Muttalib and that was indeed kufr. The seventh issue uh, is that the Prophet ﷺ sought forgiveness for his uncle until Allah prohibited him, but it didn't benefit him in any way. And then Allah prohibited it. The eighth issue is the harm of the evil companionship or evil friends, associates that one keeps, that they cause harm to one, as uh, Abu Jahl caused to Abu, Abu Talib when he insisted that he remain on the religion of his ancestors, yani on kufr and died on kufr, which was the cause of him remaining in the hellfire forever. And likewise, the Sheikh mentions in his Sharh, concerning this point, evil companionship or evil surroundings, he mentions the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that every person is born on the fitrah, the natural condition, but it is their parents who make them Jews or Christians or Magians. And likewise, the saying of the Prophet ﷺ, that a person will be on the deen, al-mar'u ala deeni khalilihi, that a person will be on the religion of his friend, فَلْيَنْظُرْ أَحَدُكُمْ مَيُخَالِدْ So everyone should consider who he takes for friends because those who you take for friends they will affect you if they are good 
then they will bring a good effect and if they are evil they will bring a bad effect. The ninth issue is the harm of glorification of ancestors and important personalities and in the glorification of the ancestors it is what caused the pagans to remain on kufr and it was the cause of them remaining astray and dying on kufr. The tenth issue it is this doubtful matter, a shubha, the doubtful matter which the people of falsehood fell upon and they used it. It was used by Abu Jahl as a proof. It was used as an argument. It was, will you turn away from the religion of your forefathers? It was a strong proof amongst the pagans. And nobody would turn away from the way of their ancestors. And this is as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran in Surah Al-Zukhruf, chapter 23. وَكَذَلِكَ مَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ فِي قَرْيَةٍ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ إِلَّا قَالَ مُتْرَفُوهَا إِنَّا وَجَدْنَا آبَاءَنَا عَلَىٰ أُمَّةٍ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُخْتَدُونَ يعني that there was no indeed there was, we have sent no one يعني as prophets or messengers before you to any people as a warner except that those people said verily we found our forefathers on a ummah on a track on a way on a path we found them in that way وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ مُخْتَدُونَ and we will follow in their way we will follow in their footsteps this was the answer of the pagan disbelievers, that they found the ancestors on a certain way, no matter even if it was falsehood, they were going to stay on that way, and this is what happened to Abu Talib, and this is what happened to many of the people today when we call them to Islam, they said that my parents and my ancestors, they are Christians, or they are Hindus, or they are whatever, and how can I turn away from that? This is the same argument that we find the people using today. The last issue, it is <coughs> consideration of the magnitude that this doubtful matter were, that it had in the hearts of the people who were astray. Look how great was this doubtful matter, this shubha, how it was to them. To the extent that in the hadith of, of Tayyid al-Musayyib, Abu Jahl, he didn't use any argument. While the Prophet ﷺ was stressing and straining with Abu Talib to come to Islam, urging him in every way that he could, just to say, La ilaha illallah, sincerely, and I will be able to argue on your behalf, they didn't bring any arguments to oppose the Prophet except will you turn away from the religion of your ancestors that was the only argument that they had and they knew it was so strong it was sufficient they didn't say any more than that it was sufficient they knew that it was powerful enough because it was a great it, it held a great place yani, the way of their ancestors and magnifying and glorifying their ancestors was to such an extent that even if they were astray they were following their way and this is indeed ignorance it is jahiliya and we should avoid it uh, there are five minutes, we can take five minutes because 15 minutes remaining before the account. We'll take five minutes for questions, inshallah. Um, the first question I'll take from the sisters and then the question of the brother. It's okay? Jazakallah khair. The question of the sisters, did the, did the parents of Rasul sallallahu die as Muslim? Indeed, the parents of the Prophet sallallahu did, did not die as Muslim. The father of the Prophet died before he was born before he was missioned, before he called anyone to Islam. He died on kufr, on the paganism of the people of the Quraysh of Mecca. And as for his mother, his mother also died before he was missioned, as when he was a child. When his grandfather and his uncle took custody of him, his mother also died when he was a child, before his being missioned as a prophet. And indeed the Prophet ﷺ, as he was prohibited, finally, from seeking forgiveness for Abu Talib, his uncle, likewise, it is authentically reported that the Prophet ﷺ asked Allah for permission to go to the grave of his mother 
to seek forgiveness for her and he was prohibited from doing so. And this is a proof that his mother also died on Kufra. And likewise, when some of the companions of the Prophet came to him and said, but my parents, I mean, how can you say that they're internally in the house? He said, likewise, also my parents are in the same condition. And though it may be something that is difficult to accept, indeed, whoever died on Kufr, even if it were our parents or our ancestors or our closest friends, whoever died on Kufr, indeed their destination is the hellfire. Uh, any, is there any question from the brothers or any comment or yet the co- correction now? It means before the death actually overtakes that person. Yani when the person, when the soul is reaching the throat of the person, at the actual point of their soul being taken from their body, then it's too late at that point. But before that point, when the person, they know that they are dying. They have been told that you have uh, seven days remaining, one month, six hours, you, you don't have any more time. But they are still alive. At that point, if the person says, La ilaha illallah, knowing its meaning, being certain about it, the truthfulness of it, saying it sincerely, truthfully, for the sake of Allah, with ikhlas and sidq, and loving that word, and submitting yourself, accepting it fully, and all that it goes with, if they said it like that, and only Allah knows. But as the Shaykh said, in the explanation of this chapter, he said that, outwardly, we treat them as a Muslim. Inwardly, because outwardly, that saying of La ilaha illallah, it is Islam. But Al-Iman, it is in the heart. It is only known to Allah. But they should be treated as a Muslim. And it will be accept, accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise, there was no benefit in the Prophet sallallahu saying to his uncle at that point, قُلْ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ There is no benefit in saying that I will testify for you and I will argue on your behalf in front of Allah with this word, except that there is some benefit. Had he said it, it would have benefited him. And likewise, whoever says it at that time, before the actual death approach them, before their soul comes to their throat, then it will benefit them indeed if they said it sincerely with the conditions of La ilaha illallah, it will benefit them. It doesn't mean that they will not be punished for any of their sins. That will be with Allah. But at least they will be dying on Tawheed. They will be of the people who it is permissible to seek their forgiveness and who it is permissible to intercede for them and who Allah, if He wills, might forgive all of their sins for as much as He wills according to His will. Naam. The Hidayah to Tawfiq, it is Allah's favor. He gives it to whomever He wills. Allah, He knows the hearts of His servants. And He knows the one who, as the Shaykh said, يَسْتَحَقُّ Hidayah. That means the one who deserves it is the one who has some sincerity in his heart, even though he doesn't know the truth. But Allah knows that in his heart there is ikhlas. Even he might be far away from the truth, in his actions, in his belief, in his speech, in everything. His belief might be completely false. But there is sincerity in his heart that he desires the truth. For that one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create, Allah will plant in his heart the ability, the qubool, the ability to accept the truth and then to act in accordance with it and to remain on it and to die on it so that he will benefit from it. So that person indeed has to have sincerity in desiring the truth. Yani, even if the person is not saying publicly to anyone, I really want the truth. Allah knows in his heart that that person is really seeking truth. And that one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to them. It is with Allah. Because he is the only one who knows. Abdul Mud- Ab- 
Okay. Shall we make this the last question? Because we have to leave before the Iqama so we can get to the masjid. Uh, what about those people like Abdul Muttalib and the parents of the Prophet and the people before them and the people after them in any place or in any time that the truth didn't reach? The Prophet in the hadith which is Sahih, in the Sahih of Muslim, in the book of Iman, he mentioned specifically about these people, Ahlul Fitra. The Ahlul Fitra are the people who the truth never reached. Whether they were in between the Prophets, yani after the message of a Prophet was lost, before another Prophet came, or those people who for some reason or another, in this day and time or after the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallam, in any time period where they didn't come to know the reality of the deen of Allah in order for them to accept it, then those people, they will be judged justly, judged justly by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallam, said that Allah will come to them. He will come to them, he will actually present himself to them and they will acknowledge that he is their Lord. They will acknowledge that he is Allah, the Lord of the world. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test them. He will give them the empty hand. The test that we are tested with and others were tested with who the message came to. Everyone who the message came to, they were tested. That if you recognize that this is the truth, will you accept it and act on it? Or you will disobey, you will refuse, you will reject. So also they will be tested. But they will be tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Not by a prophet, not by a messenger, not by a caller to the truth, not by a scholar. But they will be tested by Allah. Allah will tell them, do you recognize that I am your Lord? They will say yes. Then he will say, he will show them a fire. And he will say, enter the fire. If they know that he is Allah, he is their Lord, they have to obey him. If they obey him, those who obeyed him and entered the fire will find themselves in paradise. And those who rejected and disobeyed him will be thrown in the hellfire. Then this is the justice of Allah. We were tested by prophets and messengers and those scholars and people who called to the truth. They were tested by Allah himself. If they rejected Allah's command, indeed they would have rejected the prophets and messengers. So those who obey him will enter paradise and those who disobey him will justly be thrown in the hellfire. إن هذه تذكرة فمن شاء اتخذ إلى ربه سبيلا إن ربك يعلم أنك تكون أبنا من الليل ونصفه وكلته وطائفة من الذين معك والله يقدر الليل والنهار علم أن لن تحصوه فتاب عليكم فقرأوا ما تيسر من القرآن علم أن سيكون منكم مرضى وآخرون يضربون في الأرض يبتغون من فضل الله وآخرون يقاتلون في سبيل الله وآخرون يقاتلون في سبيل الله فقرأوا ما تيسر منه وأقيموا الصلاة وآتوا الزكاة وأقرضوا الله قرضا حسنا وما تقدموا لأنفسكم من خير تجدوه عند الله هو خير وأعظم أجرا
وَاسْتَغْفِرُوا اللَّهَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ يَا أَيُّهَا الْمُدَّثِّرُ قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ وَرَبَّكَ فَكَبِّرْ وَثِيَابَكَ فَطَهِّرْ وَرُجْزَ فَهْجُرْ وَلَا تَسْتَكْبِرْ وَلِرَبِّكَ فَاصْبِرْ فَإِذَا نُقِرَ فِي النَّاقُورِ فَذَلِكَ يَوْمَئِذٍ يَوْمٌ عَسِيرٌ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ غَيْرُ يَسِيرٍ لَرْنُوا وَمَنْ خَلَقَتُ وَحِيدًا وَجَعَلْتُ لَهُ مَالًا مَمْدُودًا وَبَنِينَ شُهُودًا وَمَهَّدْتُ لَهُ تَمْهِيدًا ثُمَّ يَطْمَعُ أَنْ أَزِيدَ كَلَّا إِنَّهُ كَانَ لِآيَاتِنَا عَنِيدًا سَأُرْهِقُهُ صَعُودًا إِنَّهُ فَكَّرَ وَقَدَّرَ فَقُتِلَ كَيْفَ قَدَّرْ ثُمَّ قُتِلَ كَيْفَ قَدَّرْ ثُمَّ نَظَرْ ثُمَّ عَبَسَ وَبَسَرْ ثُمَّ أَدَبَرَ وَاسْتَكْبَرْ فَقَالَ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ يُؤْتَرْ إن هذا إلا قول بشر سأخليه سقر وما أدراك ما سقر لا تبقي ولا تذر لواحة للبشر عليها تسعة عشر وما جعلنا أصحاب النار إلا ملائكة وما جعلنا عدتهم إلا فتنة وما جعلنا عدتهم إلا فتنة للذين كفروا ليستيقن الذين أوتوا الكتاب ويزداد الذين آمنوا إيمانا ويزداد الذين آمنوا إيمانا ولا يرتاب الذين أوتوا الكتاب والمؤمنون وليقول الذين في قلوبهم مرض وليقول الذين في قلوبهم مرض والكافرون ماذا أراد الله بهذا مثلا كذلك يضل الله من يشاء ويهدي من يشاء وما يعلم جنود ربك إلا هو وما هي إلا ذكرى للبشر كلا والقمر 
والليل إذ أدبر والصبح إذا أسفر إنها لإحدى الكبر نذيرا للبشر لمن شاء منكم أن يتقدم أو يتأخر كل نفس بما كسبت رهينة إلا أصحاب اليمين في جنات يتساءلون عن المجرمين ما سلككم في سقر قالوا لم نكن من المصلين ولم نكن طعم المسكين وكنا نخوض مع الخائضين وكنا نكذب بيوم الدين حتى أتانا اليقين فما تنفعهم شفاعة الشافعين فما لهم عن التذكرة معرضين كأنهم حمر مستنفرة كرت قسورة بل يريد كل امرئ منهم أن يؤتى صحفا منشرة كلا بل لا يخافون الآخرة كلا إنه تذكرة فمن شاء ذكرة وما يذكرون إلا تقوى وأهل المغفرة بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة أيحسب الإنسان أن لن نجمع عظامة بلى قادرين على أن نسوي بنانه بل يريد الإنسان ليفجر أمانه يسأل أيان يوم القيامة فإذا برق البصر وخسف القمر وجمع الشمس والقمر يقول الإنسان يومئذ أين المفر كلا لا وزر إلى ربك يومئذ المستقر ينبأ الإنسان يومئذ بما قدم وأخر من الإنسان على نفسه بصيره ولو ألقى معاذيره 
لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآنه فإذا قرأناه فاتبع قرآنه ثم إن علينا بيانه كلا بل تحبون العاجلة وتدرون الآخرة وجوه يومئذ ناظرة إلى ربها ناظرة ووجوه يومئذ باسرة تظن أن يفعل بها فاقرة كلا إذا بلغت التراقي وقيل من راق وظن أنه التراق والكفت الساق بالساق إلى ربك يومئذ مساق فلا صدق ولا صلى ولكن كذب وتولى ثم ذهب إلى أهله يتمطى أولى لك فأولى ثم أولى لك فأولى أحسب الإنسان أن يترك سدى ألم يكن طفة من يمنى ثم كان علقة فخلق فسوى فجعل منه الزوجين الذكر والأنثى أليس ذلك بقادر على أن يحيي الموتى بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم هل أتى على الإنسان حين من الدهر لم يكن شيئا مذكورا إنا خلقنا الإنسان من نطفة أمشاج نبتليه فجعلناه سميعا بصيرا إنا هديناه السبيل إما شاكرا وإما كفورا إنا أعتدنا للكافرين سلاسل وأغلالا وسعيرا إن الأبرار يشربون من كأس كان مزاجها كافورا عينا يشرب بها عباد الله يفجرونها تفجيرا يوفون بالنذر ويخافون يوما كان شره مستطيرا ويطعمون الطعام على حبه مسكينا ويتينا وأسيرا إنما نطعمكم لوجه الله لا نريد منكم جاء 
جزاء ولا شكورا إنا نخاف من ربنا يوما عبوسا قمطريرا فوقاهم الله شر ذلك اليوم ولقاهم نظرة وسرورا وجزاهم بما صدروا جنة وحريرا متكئين فيها على الأرائك لا يرون فيها شمسا ولا زمهريرا ودانية عليهم ظلالها وذللت قطوفها تذليلا ويطاف عليهم بآنية من فضة وأكواد كانت قواريرا قوارير من فضة قدروها تقديرا ويسقون فيها كأسا كان مزادها زنجبيلا عين فيها تسمى سلسبيلا ويطوف عليهم ولدان مخلدون إذا رأيتهم حسبتهم لؤلؤا منثورا وإذا رأيت ثم رأيت نعيما وملكا كبيرا عاليهم ثياب سندس خضر واستبرق وحلوا أساور من فضة وسقاهم ربهم وسقاهم ربهم شرابا طهورا إن هذا كان لكم جزاء وكان سعيكم مشكورا إنا نحن نزلنا عليك القرآن تنزيلا تصبر لحكم ربك ولا تطع منهم آثما أو كفورا واذكر اسم ربك بكرة وأصيلا ومن الليل فاسجد له وسبحه ليلا طويلا إن هؤلاء يحبون العاجلة ويذرون وراءهم يوما ثقيلا نحن خلقناهم وشددنا أسرهم وإذا شئنا بدلنا أمثالهم تبديلا إن هذه تذكرة فمن شاء اتخذ إلى ربه سبيلا وما تشاءون إلا ودخل من يشاء في رحمته 
والظالمين أعد لهم عذابا أليما بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والمرسلات عرفا فالعاصفات عصفا والناشرات نشرا فالفارقات ترقا فالملقيات ذكرا عذرا أو نذرا إنما توعدون لواقع فإذا النجوم طمست وإذا السماء فرجت وإذا الجبال نسفت وإذا الرسل أقتت لأي يوم أجلت ليوم تصف وما أدرات ما يوم تصف ويل يومئذ للمكذبين ألم نهلك الأولين ثم نتبعهم الآخرين كذلك نفعل بالمجرمين ويل يومئذ للمكذبين ألم نخلقكم من ماء مهين فجعلناه في قرار مكين إلى قدر معلوم فقدرنا فنعم القادرون ويل يومئذ للمكذبين ألم نجعل الأرض كفافا أحياء وأنواتا وجعلنا فيها رواسي شامخات وأسقيناكم ماء فراتا ويل يومئذ للمكذبين انطلقوا إلى ما كنتم به تكذبون انطلقوا إلى ظل ذي ثلاث شعب لا ظليل ولا يغني من اللهب إنها ترمي بشرر كالقصر كأنه جمالة صفر ويل يومئذ للمكذبين هذا يوم لا ينطقون ولا يؤذن لهم فيعتذرون ويل يومئذ للمكذبين هذا يوم الفصل جمعناكم والأولين فإن كان لكم كيد فكيدون ويل يومئذ للمكذبين
المتقين في ظلال وعيون وفواكه مما يشتهون كلوا واشربوا هنيئا بما كنتم تعملون إنا كذلك نجزي المحسنين ويل يومئذ للمكذبين كلوا وتمتعوا قليلا إنكم مجرمون ويل يومئذ للمكذبين وإذا قيل لهم اركعوا لا يركعون ويل يومئذ للمكذبين فبأي حديث بعده يؤمنون بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم عما تساءلون عن النبأ العظيم الذي هم فيه مختلفون كلا سيعلمون ثم كلا سيعلمون ألم نجعل الأرض مهادا والجبال أوتادا وخلقناكم أزواجا وجعلنا نومكم سباتا وجعلنا الليل لباسا وجعلنا النهار معاشا Thank you.